Trevor and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 178. This time around, you are joined by the creator of some of the most iconic works of horror simply ever made. He directed and co-wrote the original Child's Play back in 1988, wrote Psycho 2, Class of 1984, The Beast Within, and many more. Hang with us as he tells us tales of what went into constructing arguably the best vampire film of all time, 1985's Fright Night. Hear about the magic of creating an impactful story with heart, executing the spectacular special effects work, being introduced to the Hollywood machine, and advice for you and what you are working to make possible right now as you listen to this. Find out about the sequel he has in store. You're about to hear the words of a true master. 35 years of Fright Night with Tom Holland. Episode 178 starts now. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an absolutely legendary storyteller and creator. He's not only responsible for writing and directing some of the greatest horror films of all time, but he has had such an undeniable impact on pop culture and establishing worlds of iconography that have managed to transcend the screen and become woven into the fabric of the human experience. What a tremendously rare achievement. And he continues to inspire and lead to this day. He began as an actor before writing stories and screenplays for projects like The Initiation of Sarah, 1982's The Beast Within, Class of 1984, the childhood classic Cloak and Dagger, and Psycho 2. He would go on to not only write, but direct as well, conceiving alongside Don Mancini, one of the most recognizable characters in the world as he brought us 1988's Child's Play. There was his work on three episodes of Tales from the Crypt, The Langoliers, Thinner, Twisted Tales, Amazing Stories, Masters of Horror, and more. More recently, he brought us 2017's award-winning Rock, Paper, Scissors and his debut novel, The Notch, released earlier this year. One particular story he brought us was his directorial debut, a box office hit that earned three Saturn Awards and a Dario Argento Award, spawned a documentary and changed vampire films, horror, and practical effects forever. A film celebrating 35 years of influencing countless creators, and for many of us fans, the very reason we were helpless victims of the rich magnetic pull into the genre that he created within his framework. Celebrating 35 years of Fright Night, along here with Mr. Tom Holland. Yes. Oh my goodness, I am blushing furious red. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. My goodness. Well, Tom, thank you so much yes. for spending some time with us today. And on behalf of horror fans everywhere, thank you so much for giving us such magic to hold on to for all these years. Oh well, believe me, I didn't it never in a million years occurred to me that I'd be doing this thirty five years later. I'm I'm, I'm eternally grateful and amazed. What were the films that ushered you into the genre and were your earliest impactful memories with horror? Well, I grew up with, with Hammer 
and you know the, the, the and AIP, which was which was the American echo of Hammer. So I grew up with Christopher Lee, whom I had lunch with once a long time ago, and uh, Peter Cushing, and the inimitable, wonderful Vincent Price, whom I had dinner with at Rodney McDowell's house with his wife Coral Brown. And the biggest mistake I've made in life is I didn't get autographs off from, from all the people I've met that I adored. Oh, I should have been walking around with an autograph book all those years I was directing. I, I, I met so many people that I admired and loved. Wow. So the worlds that you create in your films are really unforgettable because of the richness of the characters, but also they got a big beating heart to it. What informs that in your writing from everything you've seen and everything you've experienced in film? Oh, boy. Oh, man. There's a question for you. Because the because you're as involved, you're as involved in the film to the degree to which you care about the characters and what's going to happen to them. And if you're if you're doing a situation like, let's say, Fright Night, your villain is Jerry Dandridge and Billy Cole. But but in order to make them multifaceted and more real. They have to have villains never think they're villains. They think they're doing things for good reasons. And you have the people in danger are, are Charlie Brewster and Amy. If you care about Charlie and Amy and evil Ed, then you're going to be more involved with what happens to them. And if they survive the experience and trying to put it in simple terms, when you're doing a horror film, you, you look for the conflict, the danger, look for the people that you're, you're trying to make the audience sympathize with so they're emotionally involved in the film. And then slowly, step by step, you start taking away safe spaces. And you increase, you increase their danger. And you increase it to the extent at which you think there's no way they're going to survive. And that's usually your act two break. And then act three is how it comes out. So it would be the worst thing happens is Charlie Brewster is going into the into the vampire's lair, Jerry Dandridge's house, and he's alone. Peter Vincent doesn't have didn't have the courage to help him, but Charlie's going to do it anyway. And then, of course, Peter Vincent rises to the occasion. He's the cowardly lion from The Wizard of Oz. But you you like the people because you you know that they all care about each other. And you know that they're vulnerable, that they're, they're, not, they're not some superhero from uh, Marvel, you know, the, 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 you know that's going to survive everything no matter what. You don't know that with, uh, with Fright Night or Cloak and Dagger, you know. I mean, I, I got the concept of Fright Night when I was writing Cloak and Dagger, which was supposedly a remake of uh, Cornell Woolrich's short story called The Window. That was the juvenile version of Rear Window, which Cornell Woolrich really wrote. And I said, if you really wanted to do a kid seeing something happen out the window, you wouldn't put a murderer next door because it's the boy who cried wolf story. And at that time, it seemed very, very tired. But I said, if you really wanted to do it and make it for day today, you'd do it about a about a, a teenage Gonzo horror fan, which was me back in the day becoming convinced that the next door neighbor was a vampire. And I went around Hollywood trying to sell that. And everybody said, you're crazy and slammed the door in my face. So I wrote the script on spec and 
when I, 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 I had the idea and I carried it around for about six months, but I, I kept saying, I didn't have the story yet. And I kept saying to myself, well, if I, if I was Charlie Brewster and I was convinced that, that Jerry Dandridge was a vampire, what would I do? The police wouldn't believe me and they don't in the movie. My, my, my mother wouldn't believe me and then she does it in the movie. So where would I go for help if I was like back in 1959, 60, 61, watching horror movies on the, on the Friday Night Frights? And then it occurred to me, I'd go to the host of the Friday Night Frights, and that was Peter Vincent. In my day, that was Vampira, that was Svengooli, that was, uh, there were a series of, you couldn't find horror on television. This is back in the days of only three networks and a few local channels. But on Friday night at 11 o'clock, there was the, the local channel, which would put on these terrible horror sci-fi movies. And that was the only thing, if you were a fan, that you could find on TV. And this is before the day of the, way before cable and VHS and everything. And that's when I thought of, when I thought of Peter Vincent, I couldn't wait to get home and start writing. You know, I mean, I, and I, I and I, I, I loved writing that script. It's one of the best script writing experiences I ever had. So I think that, that, that my love for the, for the story and for the people involved in the story carried, carried into the movie. I had a real affection for those people because I, I sort of knew them all. <laughs> you have to have faith for that to work, Mr. Vincent. Remember... <laughs> the Boo Crew will be right back. This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. For Fright Night, up until that point, you had written many things, but you had never really directed before. How did that end up being a role you stepped into for this? Well, that was a moment in Hollywood when Hollywood had lost its direction. In 1968, you had the uh, uh, Peter Fonda film, uh, Easy Rider, and that blew away old Hollywood, and all of a sudden there was a great deal of indecision in the corporate ranks about what younger people, the teenage audience, would go to see. And that opened the door for original scripts. And if you, if I was in the actor studio from 67 to 71, and they had something called the Playwrights Unit, which and they had, they, they were, were writers would put one act plays and they would take the actors from the actor studio and put them in the plays. And I met all kinds of writers that were, that were striving to become film directors. It was just that moment in time. And I thought that was a great idea. You know, the, uh, uh, you know, so I, I was, I'd, I'd always wanted to direct, but there was no way 
there was the, the, there was no way in. There were no film schools. I went to North I went to Northwestern in my freshman year, and I went to the Northwestern Theater School because there were literally there were no film schools. I know it seems impossible now, but there was no place to go if you were an aspiring filmmaker. And it was it was so expensive. You could never get the money to even make a short. And, you know, I mean, I remember that Northwest, the Northwestern didn't have a film school. They had they had a one room with with the, 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 where you could work with film. And it was it was one room with with, a, with, with 16 mil. And I went out and made my first film at Northwestern using six using short ends, which was the cheap way to do it. You know, at, at Northwestern, and that's and the, the the splicers for editing. They were cold splicers. You wore white gloves. You you put glue together. You know, to put the pieces of film together. But there there was no place to go. So I became I became an actor because I thought it was the only way I could get the get to Hollywood. I I'm from a small farm town in this state, New York, called Highland, New York. Love the town, but the, but there was nobody. The the, the idea of of you know of entertainment was maybe going down the Radio City Music Hall on Easter and watching the Rockettes. You know that was the closest I ever got to, to entertainment back in those days. And so, so so many of so much of my early years was was a struggle to get to places where I could where I could start to to make films. I'd always wanted to be a writer. Then I wanted to be a writer when I was an adolescent. I would write short stories, which I'm sure were all terrible back then. But I was in love with. I was I was crazy gonzo about movies, movies and, and reading were my two favorite things to do. I was Charlie Brewster. I was the horror movie fan. And so I, I spent I don't know. I spent almost well, I think that I was 40 years old, 41, 39 when I when I when I directed Fright Night. And uh, it, it had taken me that long. To work my way from 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 apple orchards and 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 cow farms in mid-state New York, dairy farms, and to to get to Hollywood, I didn't know anybody, no no family connections, no 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 nothing. It was like you know uh, stumbling, falling down, getting up. I did work as an actor. I, I will say that, but 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 acting wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I mean, so I just kept trying this and trying that and. Somehow, amazingly, I got here. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm as I'm as I sort of know. I sort of understand it now. But I'll tell you, when you're going through it, you don't know what's happening. Sure. You know, I mean, you're just trying to get the next job and and stay alive and and hoping that somebody notices because Hollywood is a is a town of of connections, and I didn't have any. And it's also a town full of nepotism. And I didn't have anybody in the business. So it was a long, hard slog. But at the same time, I learned a hell of a lot. I read somewhere that that the budget for the vampire effects was about a million dollars. Was it difficult securing such a budget at that time? You know, I didn't know enough to even know whether they gave me the money to do it or not. I got very, very, very lucky, Leo. I mean, you know, you can say persistence is a synonym for luck. But I I just got blind lucky with with uh, with Fright Night. Columbia had just finished Ghostbusters, which was a huge success, and they wanted to hold on to the effects crew, which was Richard Edlund. 
So they employed Richard Edlin on a small throwaway horror film called Fright Night that nobody expected anything out of. You know, they, they weren't paying any attention to me. And that gave me tremendous artistic freedom. And because there were business reasons for Columbia wanting to hold on to Richard Edlin, I got the best effects crew in Hollywood at that moment. I got not only Richard did the film stuff, you know, the matting and, uh, you know, he did the, the, the shadow coming down the wall and the, on the, on the jump off the balcony. And I was also blessed with Steve Johnson and Randy Cook. And those guys were phenomenal sculptors. And we were all kids. We were all very young, you know, the, uh, and we were wildly enthusiastic. And, <laughs> and they, they tried, you know, and they, they, I, I told them what I wanted and I, I had drawn out boards and we'd have meetings and I would, I would act it out for them because I didn't know. I, I acted out the transition of evil Ed, you know, as, as he goes from being, you know, a, a, a wolf back into being a boy down to how he fell when he was dying on the, on the floor. That was a terrific scene, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. But, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't, I have the props all in my house, too. Oh, oh that's amazing. Do? Oh, my gosh. No, we got, love props. I've got the bat I've, with a five-foot wingspan. I've got the van. I've got the, the, the wolf's head that was the, and, the, and the arm that evil wore as he makes the transition. I've got Billy Cole's skull. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, I've, I've got the 35 mil test that, that Richard Edlin did. I've got it all here. I, I spent... I spent my, I guess I spent the years since collecting it. I think I've got the complete Fright Night prop collection. Oh my gosh, I need to see that one day. The head of production, whose name is now out of my head at Columbia, provided me with just terrific people. I had a guy named Jerry Garowitz, who's my line producer, unit production manager, and he made sure they beat it into me that I communicate with all the departments exactly what I wanted, and by God, it worked, and they showed up. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it was, you know, it was just, I don't know, you know, I mean, because I, some of the films since, you know, and some of them have worked, some of them haven't, but I, I also had two weeks of rehearsal time. I think they, they and I never had that again. And I think that because it was my first film, everybody was being very kind to me <laughs> and trying to make sure that, you know, that, that I did things right. Columbia's attention was on a movie called Perfect at the time. If anybody remembers that, it was that was John Travolta and uh, oh Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, that's right. Jamie Lee Curtis, right? And they thought that was going to be the, the big huge hit. And so Friday Night sort of snuck in under. You know, nobody. And the guy McElwain gave me the go ahead. He was head of the studio. He was a huge agent. He was Spielberg's agent. And guy was a, a terrific, terrific guy. But they had this one, one slot in their release schedule that they wanted to put a very cheap film into. And so that was Fight Night. I just got very, very lucky and was surrounded with a lot of good people who were trying to help me. That's as opposed to, you know, in a lot of films, people are trying to destroy you. So, you know, I, I just, you know, I always blessed is what happened. And here, here I am. I got this 35 minutes later. I didn't know I was going to last this long. And I... Thank you very much for calling me before Halloween. 
and talking to me about this. I mean, it is it is it is a total shock, and I I really you know movies didn't last. You know when I when I was doing this, it never occurred to me that that anybody would be interested in anything that I had done years later. I mean, I was just trying to stay alive and make movies. Were there any Fright Night sequel concept ideas that were never heard? I'm writing the sequel now in a book. It's called Fright Night 2. And it's going to Fright Night 2 Resurrection, specifically Jerry's Resurrection. And that's, that's what I'm doing because I don't trust, I haven't been particularly happy with the remakes of my work or the sequels. So, I mean, it finally occurred to me that the best way you can protect yourself creatively is to do it in a novel form. That has its own problems, too, because you have to market all this stuff and everything else. But, you know, the at least there's there's nobody messing with you when you're writing a novel because it's just a singular art form. For that matter, there's nobody messing with you when you write a script. But the problem is you've got to get somebody to write it. I mean, I, I remember at one point, every time I was in Hollywood, everybody, every waiter and waitress was, was an aspiring actor. Then I turned around four or five years later, and they were aspiring screenwriters. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just goes in fashion, and it's extremely difficult to break through for anybody. And anybody who tries, you know, God bless, you know, I wish I could help you all, but I can't. Everybody has their own journey to make. But if you, if you love it enough... If you love it enough, and if you love the process enough, there are ways to work through, you know, and there is always a demand for content, and good work finally does speak. And if you have heart, because that's what you were talking about with, with the earlier question, if you have, if there's, if there's humanity in the script, you'll touch people. And if people remember, remember being entertained, and they remember being touched. And, and, and with Fright Night, it's become multi-generational. And believe me, I never expected it. And there was, there was, no, there was nothing on, on my part that ever thought this was going to happen. And I'm just extraordinarily lucky. Tom, man, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. The three of you, thank you so much for asking. You know, thank you. I thank you back. I, tears are coming up in my eyes. Oh, Tom, and, man. Uh, I, I, you touched me, man. Both of you, everybody, all of you, thank you. God bless to everybody. God bless. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 178. Special thanks to our guest, Tom Holland. Follow him at RealTomHolland on Twitter and THTerrorTime.com. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman5000. Till next time, it's the Boot Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network bye
Bloody Disgusting.com slash podcasts.